From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome. We here at the Wealth DNA Radio Show are honored that you're joining us today. Now it sure seems like a long time since we had a chat uh, a chat uh, about investing. Actually, normally it's what every two weeks. Hello. Uh, and August had um, five Mondays, so we had a three-week gap. Fortunately, the show we have planned for you today was well worth the wait. Now, speaking of waiting, I realized yesterday that summer is nearing an end. Now, in most parts of the world, that's sad news, whereas in the Phoenix area where I am and in Florida where our guest is, it's great news. We now can start spending some time outdoors comfortably. What made me think of summer ending is it appears yesterday may have been the last day with temperatures over 100, at least in the foothills where my office is. In central Phoenix and areas like Yuma, they may still have a few more days over 100. Some of you are saying 100 degrees. Well, yeah, that's summer for us. Now, whether you're on the U.S. West Coast or in Arizona where I am and you're sipping a cup of coffee, the U.S. East Coast where our guest is and you're taking a lunch break, in Europe, ending your work day, you're somewhere in between or you're listening to the archive of the show, I know you'll be glad you joined us for this hour. Now, if you're listening to the archive in, let's say, 2020 or later, you'll be able to look back and see how this show could have helped you increase your wealth by listening in September of 2015 and taking advantage of some of the insights we'll cover on an important asset class. Now, from the title of the show, you probably know that either our guest is named Bond, like one of my investor friends here in the Phoenix area, or you knew that we'd be talking about investing in bonds. The latter is indeed the case. Now, most investors think of bonds as a smaller asset class than equities. The primary reason a typical asset allocation recommended by a Wall Street financial advisor is 70-30, let's say. That's 70% in equities, the other 30% in bonds and cash investments. But for regular listeners of the Wealth DNA radio show, that certainly wouldn't be a typical allocation. A typical allocation might be more like 40-20-20-10-10, with far more in what today are considered alternative investments like real estate, private mortgage loans, commodities, venture capital, managed futures, etc. Now, our regular listeners know that we'll be referring to it as investing in bonds or maybe holding bonds, but we'll avoid, and we always avoid saying owning bonds, since bonds are a loan instrument. And with them, the only thing you own is a piece of paper like a promissory note stating that you've made a loan to the other party and the terms of repayment of that loan. Let me add one more tidbit of information I've rarely mentioned on this show. Today's alternative investments were the traditional investments 100 years ago. You see, back then, owning equities and bonds was an alternative investment only used by the wealthy and a few speculators on Wall Street. Yes, just a hundred short years ago, there were far fewer large publicly traded companies, and most investors like you and I at that time would have invested in small businesses, real estate, and commodities. And in essence, we flipped it around. Today, we think of those as alternative investments. Amazing how Wall Street's strong lobbying and marketing has changed our perception of what traditional investments are. 
Now, on the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we focus on the fundamentals of investing and providing great ideas for building and protecting your wealth. Today, as I mentioned, we'll focus on bonds, an asset class that's nearly twice as much as in assets as do equities. Surprising, but true. Now, some of our listeners outside the U.S. think that's merely a U.S. statistic. They might say, certainly in other parts of the world, like where I am, there's more money invested in equities than in bonds. Well, I'm here to assure you that bonds are a larger asset class, and worldwide, assets invested in bonds are nearly double the assets in equities, almost exact same ratio as in the U.S. So now there's a statistic you can use to make a little money this week or maybe get someone to buy you a drink. I'll start each show generally by sharing a quote to set the tone for today's topic. And admittedly, when I asked myself and I said, Ron, uh, that's what I often call myself, uh, you know, what do you think of what's the quote that first comes to mind when you think of bonds? Well, I didn't really come up with much other than one of my own quotes. So let me share that quote. Investing is not complicated. There are only two ways to invest. You can own or you can loan. Diversification includes both. So let me repeat that. Investing is not complicated. There are only two ways to invest. You can own or you can loan. Diversification includes both. And again, that quote is attributed to your humble host, Ron Naraki. Today is Monday, September 14th, 2015. It is 9.05 a.m. in Arizona, 12.05 p.m. on the East Coast, where our guest is. It's the only day ever like it, so we'll do everything possible to make it a great one. Now, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. If you didn't receive a reminder of the show, you should connect with us on Twitter or Facebook, where we post reminders. Just connect with The Ronald, put together as a single word. We'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you. Now, I certainly hope you join us each time we air, but if you miss a show, like the last show, let's say, on bankruptcy with from an investor's perspective with Dave Knapper, you might find them on the archive. Just go to wealthdna.us, and you will certainly find all of them on the archive, even if you have to hunt around a little bit. So wealthdna.us, we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archive. Now, we welcome your questions and comments during the show. I, using, I recommend using the chat window, and that is up, and I'm going to glance at it. I haven't been watching it there. Sorry about that. But uh, there is a chat window below the radio player. I recommend that. Otherwise, you can call in. That number is 917 388 4162. And I'll remind you, after you dial in, if you want to talk to us, you do have to dial a 1, which the uh, announcer doesn't necessarily tell you that it'll get you the producer. That number, by the way, is shown also at the top of the Internet screen. Now, since our last show, the technical cell signal was confirmed, as I had mentioned. Uh, we've had several 2 3 and 4% daily moves in U.S. equity markets, and those markets ended just about where they started, deja vu all over again. Now, the two, today, the U.S. market's off to a negative start. Asia was down. Europe was mixed, I'd say, a little bit up, a little bit down, and Brazil is up. Our guest today to discuss bonds, the name, is Laura Deegan, a principal trader with RM Stark & Company. She's also the director of the RIA Bond Desk, helping registered investment advisors, that's what RIA stands for, if you didn't recall, with their fixed income needs. Let's give a warm radio welcome to Laura Deegan. Welcome, Laura, and thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, Ron. 
And I gave a brief overview, a very brief overview of background. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? And (laughs) which of those two roles, you know, the director of the RIA bond desk or principal trader, which one do you mention most often? Well, probably the director of the RIA bond desk because Mm -hmm. um, just trading the bonds is a function of, of buying them from the street, you know, and selling them to the customers or placing them in various accounts for their customers. Registered investment advisors manage a lot of money across a number of different asset classes, and so I like to just focus on the fixed income portion of their portfolio and show them bonds that I think have great value and may fit their profile um, on any you know for every account because every client has different needs. Some have more uh, risk tolerance than others. So bonds should be in every portfolio, in my opinion, and I always like to ask them. Uh, you know, I'm in the bond business, and uh, do you have any bonds, or are you interested in uh, seeing some some type of yield instrument? And usually they say yes, and that's how it, it starts. Okay, and you don't introduce yourself as bonds the name, right? Okay. <laughs> no, uh, but it's but not we, a bad idea. I thought it was a catchy name for our show. Right? You know, why not? We have to have a little bit of humor every once in a while. But let's start out with the big picture, and later on we'll drill down to the, what we should be doing in each of our portfolios. But and in the intro, I mentioned total assets in the U.S. bond markets and worldwide are almost double the assets and equities. Now, that's fairly surprising. If most investors have, let's say, 60 70 or 80% in equities, how can the bond market be so large? Well, there's an endless demand for capital, you know, in the United States and worldwide, uh, you have all of your municipalities, um, you know, financing hospitals and cities. Uh, we have all kinds of buildings. You have schools. You have turnpikes. You have roads. And in order to do those financings on a municipal level, uh, there's an endless demand for capital. And a lot of times, the bonds are issued very long term. So. You have a lot of old, outstanding bonds, and then you have a lot of new bonds that have come to market, and it's constantly an up and flow um, to finance projects in every municipality. On the corporate front, there's always a demand for corporations to borrow money from the street, from the public, in public finance, and so there's a huge demand uh, you know, for, the, for their bonds to be issued, and that's a huge part of the market because you know, the stocks are just a small small dollar amount, but a bond is always a $1,000 face. So just the prices of them in general are the market's bigger and the price of them is higher because each bond comes due usually at $1,000 par value. And they're issued 40 years out, and we still have debt, you know, that goes out 40 years from today. Then you also have the federal government issuing bonds. You have Federal Home Loan Bank, Jenny May, Fannie Mae, Mm, Freddie Mac, and you have all the banks that issue certificates of deposit. So, yes, it's a very large market, and it's one that um, it doesn't get as much notoriety, you know, like on, exactly. on some of the channels. You know, they always are constantly looking at the stocks, but really there's a lot going on in bonds, and so I'm so delighted to be here today. Yeah, well, one of them, as a matter of fact, you mentioned the notoriety. You know, we have the uh, the Dow, as we often refer to the Dow Jones Industrials, or the S&P 500, the uh, NASDAQ, a number of indices, the DAX over in, in Europe, and the CAC, and the, you know, and all, all of these different indices for, for the stock markets around the world. But we don't seem to have a or a few bond indices that we could then focus on. They would say, oh, wow, look, the bond market moved, you know, X percent this year, this uh, today or this amount or whatever – 
We don't have that. Is that is that part of the notoriety that we just don't have that kind of index? It's just um, the only way that we really what what we look at every day on the RIA bond desk and what all trading desks you know that manage bond portfolios are looking at is where the treasury trades. Bonds are priced against the treasury, so it's really the five year, ten year, twenty year, thirty year treasury. And then if your bond matures 5, 10, 15, 20 years out, you're usually pricing it based on where that equivalent treasury would trade. And then you have another, a lot of other features that come into play in the pricing. But as far as an index, uh, no, you know, there isn't, there isn't one. And it would be great if there was, um, but they just haven't come up with it yet. And I'm not really sure why, to be honest. Well, there's your opportunity, the Deegan Index. How's that? You'd be, <laughs> there you go. You'd be noted, you know, just like uh, 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 Dow and, and, and Jones have, have become, you know, household names. Uh, there you go. There's your opportunity for, for infamy. So uh, I'm, I'm supportive, and I'll, uh, I'll help you any way I can on that one. Now, on the uh, bond desk, do you focus on bonds only issued in the U.S., or do you also uh, look at bonds or have available uh, and comment on bonds uh, from other parts of the world? Well, I, on this desk, we can trade all, all asset classes, and we can trade uh, international bonds. Um, what the key element on international bonds is that you have to convert them to U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. So that means you buy in a foreign currency and convert to U.S. dollars for delivery to whoever, you know, the bank or brokerage firm uh, that they're custodied in. So U.S. Uh, brokerage firms do not typically hold foreign bonds in foreign denominations. Mm -hmm. They usually request that you convert them to U.S. dollars, which is another step in the transaction. But yes, we have access to all foreign bonds, um, except for if it's a banned uh, country like Venezuela was put on the watch list. We were not allowed to do business with them for a while. Um, It depends on the company that you work for. Our firm is with Bank of New York, and Bank of New York did not allow us to deliver Venezuelan paper for some reason. So, you know, just one of the bonds that you can't buy. Um, But all the other ones, Brazil, you know, the Euro, um, the Swiss franc, all of those trades are available. Uh, We can get you uh, in those particular credits. But I prefer... Uh, to stay in the U.S. just because interest rates around the world are not much better than the U.S., and I think it's just a good idea to just buy bonds close to home for right now. A little less risk, kind of a little bit might know more of what you're getting, and you take that whole conversion rate um, out of the equation for the uh, pricing of their um, dollar. Good points. Good points. Absolutely. Now, um, you know, uh, our, our investors or our listeners are, of, you know, you've mentioned a few aware of, that's the word I was looking for, uh, different types of bonds. And, you know, the big three that come to mind is the Treasury or other national governments, uh, corporate and municipal, which sometimes we call uh, tax freeze. Uh, what are some of those other types of, uh, of bonds? Well, there's, you have, um, a variety of asset classes in fixed income. So fixed income is what we're talking about today, Mm -hmm. and that is typically bonds, but there's other types of assets like that, which are some are structured products. But the basic ones that we work with here and what we call the core assets in a fixed income portfolio or a bond portfolio would be municipal bonds, corporate Mm -hmm. bonds, and government bonds. And in addition to that, certificates of deposit, insured FDIC certificates of deposits that we offer here, and they're brokered CDs where you can 
pick from a number of banks around the country and build a laddered portfolio of, of FDIC-insured certificates of deposit. And I call that the super safe, ultra-conservative portfolio. And, you know, we've done a, we've built a lot of laddered portfolios in certificates of deposit. But for the most part, my area of expertise in the asset class that I love the best are tax-free municipal bonds. And those are a very big part of our work here. Our second would be corporates, uh, corporate bonds uh, in all shapes and sizes, all different types of issuers, from General Electric all the way down to a Sprint, for example, um, which is what we consider a high-yield bond. Then we go into the other um, types of structured products, which would be um, more like a Morgan Stanley will issue a bond that's linked to the S&P 500, or it's it's pays the, the yield based on how a linked um, index or a linked commodity or a linked uh, stock is performing. And those have been somewhat popular. They have a little bit, you have to have a little bit more of a risk tolerance. But what's different is that you will be getting your principal back at maturity as long as it's a principal protected type structured products. There are some that aren't. But we've been doing a little bit of that here as well um, because how uh, they have a lot of different ideas and it's new and it's fresh and it's some of them are linked to the stock market which is what everybody's like so if they like the stock market they can get a bond that has a derivative of an underlying performance of an index or of a particular stock and those are issued by the majors morgan stanley issues um, merrill um mm-hmm. goldman sachs uh barclays and those types of the big bank issuers the usual suspects. Gotcha. Hey, before we dig into specifics, because I start to get fascinated by this stuff, share with our listeners how they'd connect with uh, with you. Uh, they learn more about you, more about the RIA Bond Desk, RM Stark, etc. What are what are good contacts or what are good websites they can take a look at? Well, we have a we are a team here. I'm obviously the leader of the team, and we've got mm-hmm. some very bright minds of, with finance degrees and a lot of uh, background in fixed income. And you can contact us by simply calling the desk. We had um, our phone number is five six one nine four five eight zero six five. You can reach us on the web at www. r as in Robert m as in Mary Stark s t a r k. dot com. That's r m Stark. We're a registered broker-dealer, and we're licensed to do business in 48 of the 50 states. Uh, The only two states where we're not currently registered as a broker-dealer is in Alaska and Wyoming. But I suppose we would get registered in those states if we ever had a client uh, come to us for bonds in that state. Um, Mm -hmm. I maintain an active license in all the states where my RIA and clients are domiciled. So we really do have a nationwide approach to our business. Our goal is to protect wealth and to enhance portfolio returns in a very uh, difficult uh, interest rate environment and to help people not get stuck in the stock market too heavily because we know that there are days uh, when you could be very sorry that you have so heavily weighted yourself in equities. Yeah, two points. Now, first of all, I just want to mention on Stark, I know I've made the mistake at least once. It's RK at the end, not RCK, no C in, the, in Stark. Uh, a very key point. And we, we will get that contact information before the end of the show if you didn't have a pen and paper handy. And secondly, you know, as you were talking about these structured products, some of them linked to the S&P 500, uh, and, you know, that starts sounding like when everybody likes the Stark record, everybody's coming up with structured project products around it. You know, you hear about the uh, annuities indexed to the, to the Stark. 
stock market, start wondering if we're not hitting a top. So your point's well taken on, you know, eventually there will be a day where the stock market is not going up six years in a row, and uh, people will start saying, gee, I thought stocks always went up, you know. And uh, so, you know, there are those days. They are coming. Now, in the way of full disclosure, I sold all of my bond holdings back in 2008, uh, and other than some speculative positions, once in a while I'll play around with some of these high-yielding par bonds, as sometimes they're called, like uh, GM, which of course was in bankruptcy at the time, and I haven't any bonds or bond funds since then, so just want to make sure I disclose that. What are the key reasons for investing in bonds today, Laura? For the most part, you're a bond buyer if you're looking for income safety, and return of principal at a certain date and time. So those are the three key factors. It is a wealth preservation um, strategy, uh, owning bonds, and it's also um, for future income needs because a bond will come due on a specific date in the future. So you know when you're looking towards retirement, you know when you're 65 years old, you might want to have $20,000 available to you and you want to might, might want to be able to earn interest on your money up until that point. The bond will be available to you. So it gives you also a cash flow predictability, which um, you don't really have in the equity market. There's not a particular date and time that you can sell your stock and know that that's the dollar that you'll get in the future. Could be higher, could be lower. You know, it's liquid, but there is no um, return of principal uh, designated at a certain date and time. So it just helps people plan for their future, and we do that here on the RIA Bond Desk by picking the right bonds that have value that we think are perfect for the individual or the registered investment advisor that is trying to serve a client's needs. Okay. Let me remind our listeners, you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. If you missed some of the prior shows, you want to go back and re-listen. We maintain an archive of shows on wealthdna.us. If you'd like to get an email reminder of the show, send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. And oh, by the way, on Twitter or Facebook, The Ronald, all one word, T-H-E-R-O-N-A-L-D. Just... Uh, Follow us, and you will get news on the upcoming shows. Now, during the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, to ask questions. Easiest to start a chat in the chat window, and I've been so fascinated, I haven't been paying attention. Uh, you also can call in 917-388-4162, and then you will have to dial at one after that to get into our producer. Uh, our topic today is bonds, the name, which we're discussing with Laura Deegan, the director of the RIA Bond Desk, helping registered investment advisors with their fixed income needs. She's also a principal trader with R.M. Stark and & Company. And as I mentioned, Stark is with R.K. at the end, not R.C.K. Now, Laura, for most investors, uh, do you generally recommend individual bonds or bond funds? Well, you know, I like I like individual bonds hands down. Um, okay. I'm just trying to say that I'm not a control freak or anything, but when you have a bond fund, you're basically giving control to someone else and you don't really know you know what their maturity values are you know what what their investment strategy is i have never really been able to control a mutual fund let's put it that way unless i myself am running the mutual fund so in a bond fund you can get a guy you can get a yield 
that's based on a 10-year bond, okay? Um, so it'll announce it in the addendum to the prospectus that these are the bonds and the, the, the longest maturity is a 10-year stated final. So what you're dealing with there is you've, it's called an intermediate-term bond fund, and people like to be on the intermediate term because they're afraid of what the long-term rates are. It seems like today there's more appetite for short money than there is for long money because you're not really compensated that handsomely to go out really long-term. I mean, a 30-year bond yield is somewhere, you know, not even, it's like around 3%. So that being said, um, I like to stay in the intermediate-term range just because we don't know if rates are going higher and you don't want to be out too long. If you're, if you're not careful, you could get stuck with a bond that's only yielding 3% while overall interest rates are yielding 8% if that ever happens again. So there's been a lot of people that got hurt in the bond market, like back when um, rates were higher and then um, rates went, they bought a bond at 6%, rates went to 8%. They were disappointed because their net asset value and their bond fund went down. That doesn't mean that their dividend income didn't stay the same. They still were able to get yield. But what happens is, is that a bond fund manager wants to maintain the yield, so they'll end up going out longer term. And that inevitably makes the bond, the bond fund a little more volatile. So if you buy individual bonds, you can protect yourself from that. Not only do you get to control the bond in your own portfolio, you can sell it at any, t- at any time in the open market, or you can just have it structured in a laddered portfolio, shall we say, or you can have it um, in an account where, like, let's say, again, you're, you're going to need money for your kid's college. Uh, you know that they, they'll be graduating from high school in you know, 2021. You want them to have that money available. You can buy a bond and have it come due so that you've been earning a nice rate of return all the way through. Because if it's been sitting idle in cash, um, you know it's not earning anything today. If it's in a bond fund, you don't know what the net asset value is going to be in 2021. And if it's in an equity, again, you don't know what the value is going to be. So it's, again, an income safety and return of principal strategy and a wealth protection strategy for future needs. And I really love individual bonds because we've, we've got the expertise here to find value in the market and help people uh, navigate that, that part of the marketplace, which again is, like you said earlier, it's not, it's not really as transparent as the equity market is. You know, one of the things I want to go back to the municipal bonds a little bit. Uh, you touched on as a, as a big category for you. Some of the inexperienced investors I've known have been talked into tax-free bonds after hearing all the positives. Oh, you won't have to pay Uncle Sam, and you know all of these good things. Uh, and and how should an investor decide? They obviously shouldn't do it emotionally on what some salesman's telling them. How do they decide whether a tax-free or taxable bond is the best way to go? Well, you know, in municipal bonds, I've always found that it's nice to buy munis in your own backyard. You know your schools, you know your corporate, your public buildings, you know your turnpikes and bridges, you know your area. And so for muni bond buyers, always best to look at munis in your own area of the country. And in addition to that, um, you can get that double-edged tax-free savings. So if you buy a Texas municipal bond, and you are a res- resident of Texas, not only do you save on your Texas state income tax, but you also save on your um, federal income tax. I-, I think Texas may or may not be a tax-free state. Florida is a tax-free state. Texas is- might be a tax-free state. I can't remember. Tennessee, I know, is a tax-free state. 
Um, Arizona might be a tax-free state. No, no, we're we definitely are taxed on everything. Oh, you are. So you bought, okay. <laughs> so much. you, for example, if you bought a muni bond, then being in Arizona, paying Arizona state income tax, and you bought an Arizona bond, you would be exempt from that. For the local tax as well, exactly. Right. The state tax, exactly. Okay. And so if I called you and I said, "Hey, Ron, you know, here's this Arizona bond for you know Glendale." Arizona, for example, mm-hmm. you would have a much more familiarity with that name than if I were to sell you, you know, a municipal utility district of of Florida. Right. You wouldn't really have as much of an appetite for that bond. So I like to do them. I like to work with munis that way. And also, um, we trace munis here. Munis are all traceable uh, because FINRA set in a rule for MSRB reporting, which is the Municipal Securities Regulating Board uh, requires. Uh, reporting. So every municipal bond trade that I do or anyone does is reported to MSRB and they do have a website. So you can go ahead and look the bond up. I like to try to stay in a range where the last bonds have traded. And I can and I know that a lot of people don't know this and if they're an individual investor and they just go to market and buy a bond and don't have the um expertise, they may not know what is a good level for that bond and what is an overpriced bond. So in order to try to help them, we trace every bond here and we try to keep the market very very tight so that you're trading in a range where you know, you're not buying way out of where you should be. Okay. Let me continue on this topic just a little bit more. Obviously, the entity, uh, whether it's a city, whether it's Glendale or it's uh, anywhere else, is trying to get the lowest interest rate they can uh, so they can bring in as much money and it doesn't cost them over time. Uh, Buying these tax frees, you obviously have that tax benefit, but there's also kind of a lower risk premium. Uh, You know, which of those is really the one that drives the big advantage of of municipal bonds for most people? Is Is it that they're less risky or is it that, uh, uh, you know, they're getting the tax-free nature? For municipal bonds, I've, they've definitely, over history, have fared far better than corporate bonds. And part of the um, risk tolerance is, part, you know, they're valuing the bond based on its rating and the tax-free um, yield. A corporate bond is based on its rating and a taxable yield. So corporate bonds are always trading to a treasury where municipal bonds have a little bit little bit wider um, spread. So I really think you get much more value in a municipal bond, but you have to be in a particular tax bracket to benefit you know, truly from it. But as far as a credit, muni bonds have fared historically much better than corporates as far as default rates and that kind of thing. Well, let's take a look. Let's take an example. Let's say I've got a corporate bond rated A minus and a municipal bond rate rated A minus, and obviously the the ratings are different and the scales are different by each of the credit agents. But let's say they're rated the same. Is is the corporate bond just as risky or as 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 low risk as a municipal bond with that same rating, or is there a difference between those rating schemes for municipals and corporates? Well, it's really a tough call. I mean, it's you know, there a risk premium is always where the rating is a minus in corporate and a minus municipal should be fairly the same Um, but because a municipal bond will just be related to a particular municipality or a state government um, we don't really we can't really evaluate them along the same lines a corporate bond is always rated by you know future earnings um, how the company looks you know how liquid the bonds are uh, what the future outlook of their um, 
earnings and performance are, these all have a little bit of an effect on how a corporate bond is priced in the marketplace. Obviously, energy right now has gotten beaten down pretty bad, so energy bonds are trading at a much lower price, a much higher yield than they were about a year ago or nine months ago. So, you know, you can't really... You can't really compare the two from a rating perspective. Municipal bonds in Detroit obviously defaulted, um, mm-hmm. so that's a very unique situation. We haven't seen that, I don't think, ever. Um, so this is kind of a new, um, a new twist. The municipal, you have to look at the municipality. Now, a lot of times we see certain states trade cheaper to the market. New Jersey would be one. Illinois would be one because I guess there's a lot of risk in Chicago. Um, those kinds of things are affecting the the ratings on the municipal bonds, and usually they'll have to resubmit to S&P, Moody's, and Standard & Poor's and determine whether or not um, they need to reduce the rating based on what's happening in a particular municipality. And they do the same thing in corporates. They will put it on negative watch and reduce the rating um, if they can't bring it back up to a certain um, value uh, from, from a, a market's perspective. Okay. Let me go now to the corporate bonds a little bit. One of the uh, things, and you hinted at it a little bit, there are some other features out there, and, and a couple I've heard are things like death puts and make whole provisions. I assume that has nothing to do with accidental death and dismemberment, something making whole and death puts sounds sounds pretty gloomy. Can you explain these and, and whether they're beneficial? Okay. Thanks for letting me um, explain these because these happen to be a favorite. Um, okay. The, the death put is synonymous term with survivor option. So oh, some of the brokers were saying or some of the RIAs were saying, oh, and we have to talk about death puts. That sounds so morbid. Really, it's <laughs> the same thing as a survivor option. So depending on how you want to talk about the bonds, a lot of people say survivor option, and then they see the word death put. Just know that it's one and the same. Gotcha. Um, basically, on a death put corporate bond, these are not the death put is not available in the municipal bond market. It's a separate insurance overlay on the bond or a separate caveat in the prospectus that simply says to you, um, if you pass away prior to the maturity of your bond, the issuer will redeem your bonds at par value. So you basically have the uh, protection of the issuer in case of death, um, and your heirs will be entitled to the proceeds um, from that. And a lot of people like those very, very much because they can buy a longer-term bond if it has the death put feature. They have a wrap around it that if they pass away prior to its maturity, then we, we can send the bond back to GE or Ford or Caterpillar or Dow Chemical or whoever the issuer is and with a copy of the death certificate go in line for redemption. Uh, each issuer and each issue of a bond, the bonds have a certain amount that can be redeemed on an annual basis. Usually it's 2% of the outstanding issue. So if it's a $100 million bond offering, the issuer is... Um, it's going to redeem um, only 2% of that issue annually. So if it's $100 million, or let's say it's a million times 0.02, it would give you uh, 20,000 bonds. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 would come due. Gotcha. Okay. How about Actually, the make-whole 200, provision? Actually, 200,000 would come due on a million. 
Right. How about the, yeah? How about uh, correct? And how how about the make whole provision? That's that's not going to put my leg back on if I if I lost it in an accident, right? That, that oh no 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 no. Something totally whole, different. Right? Yes, make whole provision <laughs> is for the benefit of the bondholder. Again, both the death put survivor option and a make whole provision is designed to help the holder of the bond. It's not designed for the issuer. It's designed as a benefit to the holder. And basically what that means is that if they call the bonds, if the company gets bought out and the bonds have to be transferred to another owner, uh, mm-hmm. like another company in a buyout or something, they will make you whole, meaning that the bond has a par value at the maturity, mm-hmm. and they will make you whole by giving you the interest that you would be entitled to, wow. and they will pay you back your um, par value. Par value. Early, right? Wow! So they 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 have a real disincentive to have to call that early in those cases. So that's uh, pretty likely it's going to go to its uh, its uh, end date uh, in that case. Not that's helpful. I just uh, I, you know those names just sound kind of scary if you start considering them in the bodily terms. Now, <laughs> you you obviously are are uh, fairly young. And uh, probably 90% of financial advisors have never experienced a, a bear market in bonds, uh, U.S. and, and uh, really worldwide. Uh, we've seen a lot of bond prices basically continue to increase for the last 35 years. Explain why we've had such a long bull market in bonds, and can we expect that to continue? You know, the appetite for bonds is just incredible. I just don't. We just don't get a lot of press, you know, on and and so. But the appetite for bonds has never been stronger, and um, we have been in this bull market for the since 2007. We were in a bear market then in everything, not only bonds, well, sure. but we were in term, yeah. bear market and everything. And then through quantitative easing and uh, various, you know, manipulated things in the marketplace by the Fed and what have you, we have. Um, continue to, you know, rally in bonds. So if you had bought the bonds in 2008, for example, at par, those bonds would probably be worth like, you know, one, one, 115 now, just huge premiums. We see them across the board. Most of the coupons that are at 5%, you know, were issued at 5%. That's kind of like we, all the 6% were called, a lot of the 7%, all the 7s were called. You barely ever see those coupons anymore. You always just see, you know, if you can get a 5 and a quarter, you're doing pretty good. And that's where the par handle is depending on the maturity. But um, I believe that bonds will continue to be a very strong asset class in the financial markets. Uh, the tax-free benefits from municipal bonds make them very, very nice for baby boomers that are looking towards retirement and want to have tax-free interest income coming in. If they're both working people, they have a high tax bracket, they want to have their money um, you know, safely tucked away in munis. Uh, the corporate bond market, you know, there's a lot more, um, there's not as much issuance as we used to see, mm-hmm. and the yields have been pretty low. So... You know, people are just going to have to get used to a lower rate, and I think that's starting to happen as we see more and more people buying investment-grade bonds and corporates with, you know, not expecting to get a 10% yield anymore. They're comfortable getting, you know, a 4 or 5% return on a 10-year bond. Yeah. Now, one of the obviously the, the, the things that's likely to change is, is what you talked about earlier. Is interest rates start to rise, then then those bond prices go down. So we need to talk a little bit more, or a lot more, about that interest rate risk. Uh, how do interest rate? And it's one of those uh, you know broad questions. How do interest rates uh, affect an investor's bond portfolio? 
Well, the market sees interest rates moving higher. Obviously, that's going to happen eventually. Uh, you know, we've just been waiting and waiting and waiting. So it's just not, it just doesn't seem imminent. You know, we, we get this, we get a lot of talk about a rate, rate hike, but to actually see one in action has not yet happened. They haven't pulled the trigger on that. They think it's going to be a gradual rate increase. So uh, based on all this talk, about a rate increase and all the bonds that have been traded since the talk started about maybe four or five years ago, yeah. um, we have seen. We feel, and many of the traders on Wall Street feel as well, that rates are, that, that this is already in, the market has already accepted it, and that prices reflect the future rate hike. So we don't think near term, if rates do go up, that the bond market is going to suffer dramatically from it, especially if it's going to be a gradual rise. So people are positioning their bond portfolios accordingly. They're staying pretty heavily weighted inside the 10-year to 12-year maturity, and they're hoping that if rates do go up, they can extend those maturities out to a little farther, longer term, and capture maybe another 1% to 2% yield. But I don't think we're going to see a skyrocketing interest rate anytime soon. So if you're waiting and you're on the sidelines and you want to get invested in bonds, this is an excellent time to do so. The supply and demand economics of bonds is very compelling. Um, many, many people um, want safety, and whenever the equity market starts to have a little bit of the jitters, there is a flight to quality, and that is a flight to bonds. So all the bonds get bought up and just become more expensive. So I always encourage people you know, not to wait because it is, the time is now for that investment. Right. One of our one of our guests I've been on a few times, Jason Slade, often refers to this bond teeter totter. I love his little analogy with interest rates on one side, prices on the other. Uh, let's say that interest rates go from uh, on ten year Treasury, because that's one people are familiar with, from let's say two point two where we are today, roughly, to three point two. How much could bonds decline in value if that kind of a change takes place? Well, that's the good thing. They can't go down too much lower because if you're 30 years out getting a 320 yield and you're going out 10 years and getting a 210 yield or whatever, today I think the trend year is at 216, um, you know, the, there's not going to be that much of a price depreciation. Usually for every uh, for every 25 basis points in yield, it's about $10 a bond. Okay, so it's about 25 base points, $10 a month. But what affects that? I mean, you've got, uh, obviously, the sensitivity is going to be different. You mentioned short-term, long-term. Uh, what other kinds of factors affect that uh, average dollar amount? Well, there's a you know a variety of factors for the underlying credit as well. I mean, if it's a, if it, like I said, energy right now, is we see that as a, a weakness. Oh, well, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. And we, you know, we just there's a lot of different factors that are, that, but the teeter totter is definitely the best way to view it. And there isn't really, um, like, it could be like if like a hundred basis points uh, movement in yield uh, mm -hmm. to the upside um, on a ten-year bond. It, it could be, you know, twenty-five dollars a bond. I mean, it's not really a a set number. It's just basically the supply and demand in the market and where a bond is usually priced to a treasury. Because today I'm showing out bonds that are trading at 262 basis points over the 10-year. And the bond is rated triple B by S&P and BAA3 by Moody's. It's a corporate. And I have uh, four, I had 400 of those earlier today. I think the yield's 480 on that one. So you're trading at two, 262 over the 10-year. Okay. And now if the 10-year were to go up to, let's say, 250 from 210, 
or 216, I don't know what the what the yield would be on the bond. Probably you'd pick up maybe 20 basis points and go to 5%. All right. Let me let me uh, remind our listeners, especially if they just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealthy Union Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. You can listen to the earlier portion on the archive, or if you missed prior shows, find the archive on www.wealthdna.us. Our guest today is Laura Deegan, a principal trader with RM Stark & Company and also the director of the RIA Bond Desk. Since this asset class is her specialty, we've called the show Bonds, the name. If you just tuned in, you'll want to go back to the beginning soon after we finish, and the same link will take you there. Our producers make it pretty easy. And by the way, that same link, you can forward it to somebody so they can listen to the show as well. Uh, Laura Bond duration is one of those factors, and you talked about long-term versus short-term. Is a bond duration merely the number of years I've got left until the the bond matures, or is it more complicated than that? It can be a little bit more complicated than that because a lot of bonds have a call feature, and when a bond has a call feature, a call feature is designed to help the issuer, and it can be viewed as a benefit to the holder as well, depending on the interest rate situation. Like um, when interest rates went down and you were getting a 7% on your bond and interest rates went down, the issuer said, well, we don't want to have to finance these bonds at 7%. Let's exercise our call privilege and let's call those bonds in and let's refinance at 5%. And, of course, the issuer saves a lot of money doing so. And so that's how duration came into play in that how, if the bond was supposed to mature in 2025 and it has been called in 2015, mm-hmm. um, obviously the maturity is not the only uh, in, thing in play, but now duration comes into play. So they, there's a little formula that they use. It's usually um, illustrated on Bloomberg, uh, which is a special computer that we use to mm-hmm. determine uh, bond values and what have you. Um, they have a duration number, and that duration is based on a number of extenuating factors, and one of them is the volatility of interest rates as it relates to the likelihood of calls being executed in those bonds that are issued. Okay, so rather than me sitting there computing it, I probably should just ask for that duration or get it for Absolutely, for that that's a number okay. that you can get. Mm-hmm. Now, you've touched on a little bit, but historically advisors have always uh, suggested in the bond arena to set up a bond ladder, various durations of bonds. Is that still sound advice today, uh, given that you know there's a little bit more interest rate risk than we've seen uh, for the last years? You know, I really do like the bond ladder strategy. Um, it's very um, well thought out in modern portfolio theory. A lot of advisors are educated to provide a bond ladder to their clients. We provide individual investors on this desk. We can make them a bond ladder if they don't have an advisor, or they can instruct their advisor to come to us because they might like the credits that we pick here, um, and we can deliver those bonds to wherever their advisor has their account managed. So that's one of the things that we offer, and we don't we don't have a um, we don't have a problem with any kinds of delivery or anything like that. So when you build a bond ladder, it's a wonderful tool because you really are looking at your future cash flow needs, and you're also allowing yourself some hedge against interest rate risk because you'll have, let's say, bonds coming due every two years, every year. However you want to set it up, it's it's pretty easy to decide. And you try to find the best bonds in that maturity that are safe and what your customer needs or what you might need as an investor. And we go ahead and we start to build the ladder. We have money coming. Let's say you have $200,000 and you want to have 
$10,000 every year for the next 20 years. Then you could do it every other year. You know, you could put in 20s and make it go all the way out 10 years, having 20,000 come due every year, or you could have 10,000 coming due every year. I like to have um, the ladders that I've built are usually 25 to $50,000 coming due every year and um, or every other year. But what what's the problem with building a bond ladder is it's something that you shouldn't do in just one day. It should be something that you do as an exercise over time so that you're constantly looking at the market on a regular basis trying to fill the ladder where you might need a 2020 bond. You just can't seem to find one that's suitable. You know, there's not it's not like the stock market where you can just go in and find it on that day and buy it. If you want to look at the bond market overall, it takes time to fill a ladder, and that's what we pride ourselves on doing here. So if someone gives me an order to build the ladder, it won't be something that I turn around next day. It might take me a week, two weeks, to a month to fulfill it, you know, the way that we like it done. Um, As far as the ideology behind the ladder, there's a number of usages for it. You know, people always need future income. I know a lot of people have done their college funds that way. Uh, they've had, they've got their kids in college. They're going to have kids in college for five or six years. They need money every year coming due in September or you know in the summer before the college year begins to pay tuition and things like that. So you know we build those for for that. And then for a lot of retired people, they get a big 401k distribution. Um, they need to have it laddered out over their life expectancy, and we can accomplish that goal for them in the framework of their 401k or IRA account in bonds. And then they can, when that bond comes due and they're 65 or 67 or 69 and they need a new car, they have they know that a bond's coming due in that particular year and they have money to spend on whatever it is they choose to do so. Okay. Now, if somebody or a number of investors decided, gee, you know, interest rates are not going to keep coming down as I did in 2008, uh, not expecting all of this QE, my crystal ball wasn't yet fully developed. Uh, but anyway, look, you know, there, some people will say, I want to exit bonds. I just want to get out. What alternatives would an investment advisor suggest today rather than exiting all of the bonds? Well, we find a lot of advisors uh, go into funds and um, different funds with different strategies or ETFs have been very popular as a mm-hmm. an exit strategy. Um, you know, again, there's there's you know we definitely liquidate bonds on this on this desk whenever someone needs to get money up to buy a house or if somebody needs to sell a bond for some sort of a need or they just have a profit in their bonds and they want to take it. Uh, mm-hmm. We offer that service here. Um, we sell bonds every, almost every day on, on the RIA bond desk, and we help individual investors as well as advisors facilitate trades uh, in fixed income and in bonds, obviously. But as far as liquidating, um, you know, if you took if you had bonds over the last seven years, you've got a big profit in them if they haven't been called, and mm-hmm. uh, it wouldn't be a bad time if you wanted to make take a profit. You know, I, that can be done. Um, but as far as uh, if interest rates continue to go up. You know, it's it's likely that the bonds will just stay stay in the portfolio and just come due because the customer or the client or the investor already knows what they're getting. You have to be comfortable what you're getting with what you're getting today. If you're happy today getting a 4.8% yield, 
in a triple B rated corporate bond that lasts 10 years, then that's a great trade for you. And you should just be comfortable knowing that you're getting that. And then if you have more money down the road when rates are higher, you're comfortable buying at that level. It's not something like the equity market where, like we saw with Netflix or some of these more growth-oriented stocks, you know, a big, a big rise in their value. But we've lately seen how volatile they can really be. Sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about um, how do you help an advisor determine the kinds of bonds that would be best for a given individual. So, if, you know, if I were working with an RIA and, and uh, said, you know, here's kind of what I'm trying to accomplish, how do you help that uh, advisor uh, in, in those kinds of uh, needs? Well, most of the advisors that we work with, there's probably about, um, you know, there's 25,000 fee-only advisors in the country uh, and more starting up every day. The commission broker is sort of moving into the fee only, you know, just charging a fee to the uh, investor, and we've seen a growth in that side of the um, uh, financial business. So those guys or those ladies and gentlemen call, and they, we put them on our loop, and we usually divide our loop by states. So if you're an advisor in Arizona, you would go on the Arizona loop. And so if we had a fantastically attractive Arizona tax-free municipal bond that we think you might like, we'll email it to you for review. And in that review, you'll get a Bloomberg description page. You'll get a little write-up about the issuer. You'll get all of the specifics. Does it have a call feature? What's the yield to maturity? What's the price that it's trading at? How many bonds are available? And then you go and they look in their client accounts to see who might be a candidate for it. And they call me and say, I'd like, you know, a hundred of those, and I'd like to put them in 20 in each of these accounts and send me the um, account numbers, and then we go ahead and execute the trade and deliver those bonds to wherever they custody their client assets. On an individual basis, we buy bonds here. If you, if any of your listeners want to work with me, um, they can call me directly or email me, and I will respond. We would keep their funds at Bank of New York. Um, and they would have a regular brokerage account, and whenever they had money coming available and they wanted to buy a bond, we would work with them on an individual basis to see what their risk tolerance is. Uh, can they buy triple B? Can they buy only single A? Do they always want FDIC insurance on all of their bonds in their portfolio? Uh, do they need tax-free interest income? And then we decide what is the right asset class for them in their bonds. And I've had people do corporate bonds in their ladder and muni bonds in their ladder, one of the things that you know I find the advisors get really um, they get really into a really tight they paint themselves into a really tight window where they can't really you know let's say you need you have a bond ladder and there's a great bond and it's coming due in 2018 November but you already have a bond coming due in February of 2018 but it's such a great bond and you say oh I can't buy 2018 we recommend on this desk that it's a it's a great value you know go ahead and get it because it's it's a bond that has value, so I, I'm a value buyer. I like to buy bonds that are relatively safe and cheap to the market um, instead of being locked up and saying, oh, I can only buy a November 2018 maturity. Do you follow me on that? Yep, sure do. So, okay, don't get don't get too locked in your, your methodology. Don't let the methodology screw up the results. Gotcha. Exactly. So I guess there's your tip to the advisors, get in the loop. I like that phrase. Uh, you mentioned that they can get a hold of us. So even individuals can contact you, um, telephones. Let's make sure you get that phone number out again and uh, and email, which you didn't mention earlier. So okay. If, you, if those um, are good my, ways to reach you, let's do both. My phone number at the RAA Bond Desk is 561, area code, mm -hmm. 945-8065. Again, that's 
1-800-227-8865. Okay. And our email address is L, as in Laura, D-I-G-A-N, at rmstark.com. Okay, and obviously everybody knows how to spell Deegan once we have that Deegan bond deck. Yep, and we're on LinkedIn. You can look up Laura Deegan on LinkedIn and read all about the profile there of what we do. Um, and uh, we, we're delighted to be able to offer our services nationwide to investors and money managers. Okay. Now, we've covered a lot of aspects of bond investing today. What are some key ones you might want to add or reemphasize of ones we've talked about? Well, I certainly like the death put bonds um, a lot. I think that they're, they're very safe. Uh, they're usually investment-grade rated. Uh, they have that caveat so that you're protected, and they usually come out every week in the marketplace at par. So that means you don't have a lot of um, trying to remember, did I pay a big premium for it? Did I, have to, did I get these at a discount? The, per- the cost basis is never an issue because you always buy it at par. At, at new issue. And the names are always pretty nice names. You've got in the market this week alone, you've got Alibank, you've got Ford, you've got GE, you've got Caterpillar, you've got Dow Chemical, you've got Bank of America, you've got Goldman Sachs, all of the big issuers. Uh, and so these n- names are very liquid. So if you don't want to hold your bond for an eternity, um, you can always sell it. And uh, many people have, you know, been able to do that over time with the death put. And the death put bond makes the bond a little bit nicer because it's it's easier to sell because it has that little caveat in there. So sometimes you can find them in the secondary market, um, too, because people don't always hold their bonds forever. Um, I always, you know, love municipal bonds. Uh, I've always thought that that was one of the greatest ways to really save from Uncle Sam uh, in terms of your taxable income. Just uh, whenever you fill out your income tax return and you look at the little bit of interest that you do earn on a CD or what have you, and then you have to pay Uncle Sam on it, it seems like, boy, I wish we didn't have this part of the equation. So we can take that out for you in municipal bonds, and they're very, very um, nice to own. I've I've been very um, big advocate of tax-free municipals. And then also um, we do have structured products, some of them if you like a particular stock, and you're a sizable buyer, I think you have to have a $250,000 minimum, you can issue a bond with an underlying um, you know, stock, which is called a reverse convertible, that will allow the bond to perform based on the underlying equity. That's, hmm, that's okay. a structure. That's I didn't know about. And there's, some, there's, some, there's a little bit of risk in those, but again, very popular. Um, step-ups are awesome. They are a bond that's issued a lot. Goldman Sachs has three coming to market this month. Goldman Sachs has been pretty good at this. Morgan Stanley has been pretty good at the step-ups. And basically, those are an interest rate hedge. So they start out at like 3% for three years, uh, then 4% for three years, then 5% for three years, and then 6% for one year. That's a step-up. So it's a 10-year bond that steps up to a higher coupon. But it is callable. They always have to put that call feature in there because they certainly don't want to be paying you 6% on that very last year if interest rates in the open market are at 3 They'll call it away from you. But in the meantime, you get to have a nice coupon in the beginning of the, tra- of the transact. You get, in the beginning of the life of the bond, you get to get a 3% coupon where you would normally only get like a 2%. So those step-ups are very, very popular. And some of the step-ups even have a death put. And I do a lot of death put step-up corporate bonds. 
Interesting. Okay, good, good, good ideas. What was not familiar with those reverse convertibles and, and uh, the step ups with as an interest rate hedge? Very interesting. Had not heard about those, so appreciate that tip. Laura, great having you on, and uh, look forward to supporting you and getting the Deegan Bond Index put together. Well, thank you so much. Um, I hope I get to come back on your show again sometime in the future and sure. follow look up. Sure. Look forward to it. I'm sure we'll be talking more about bonds in the coming years, well, especially once we get some interest rate news, then it's always a little bit more exciting. Appreciate you joining us and uh, look forward to seeing you again. Thanks, Thanks. very much, Ron. Thanks, everyone. Now, Have if a you nice didn't already afternoon. Know- yeah, at the at the beginning of the show, I mentioned bonds are an asset class about twice the size of equities. So if you didn't already know that, uh, now you have something you can take bets on. And yet the vast majority of investors focus their attention on equities. And we've talked about some of the reasons uh, for that. Since I haven't had bonds in my portfolio for the last seven years, I, I forgot there were so many aspects to investing in bonds and, quite frankly, some new things uh, that I wasn't aware of at all. Uh, the different types, of course, the ratings, maturities, durations. Uh, it, it, it becomes clearer why it's difficult to have a single a single index out there. Uh, and then you add these um, Structured products, which uh, you know, obviously are going to change over time, uh, that really does complicate it as well. There are one single point I would reemphasize is this bond teeter-totter that uh, Jason Slade uh, introduced me to, which is interest rates on one side, bond prices on the other. By tracking the changes in interest rates, you start to get a feel for bond prices. So watch those uh, 10-year treasuries, which is probably the most popular. And as you see those ticking up, you know that bond prices could be heading down. Now, I'd like to take that bond teeter-totter one step further further, just like having smaller kids sit out further at the teeter-totter, you remember those days, so they have more leverage, otherwise they, uh, they'd never be able to move the big kid up. You can put short-term bonds closer to the fulcrum, long-term bonds out at the end, and interest rates rise uh, less on those shorter-term bonds. You can see that teeter-totter moving and those shorter-term bonds moving less and the longer term more. And obviously, as we talked about today, the duration or the correct duration um, would be better than short uh, term, let's call it shorter duration and longer duration. Now, if you've wondered what I've done to to make up this lack of bonds in my fixed income or the loan portion of my portfolio, as I touched on in my quote, I've invested in the entire fixed income portion in private mortgage loans. Now, in my opinion, those short-term in nature, uh, they are less sensitive to interest rate changes that I just touched on with the teeter-totter. And of course, the monthly interest rates tend to be just as good or better than what most bonds would provide. Uh, and they're also secured. So it's a decision I made, and I've been pretty happy about it. Uh, most bonds are not secured. Uh, they're merely a claim against the general assets or revenue stream of the issuer, depending on the type. Now, we've we've covered those private mortgage loans on past shows. We'll keep in mind, uh, you can't invest it in them through a stockbroker or financial advisor. They're not registered securities. They're exempt from securities registration. Same reason you wouldn't go to your uh, stockbroker or financial advisor for a mortgage on your home. It's it's really the purview of uh, mortgage loan originators, mortgage brokers, and mortgage bankers. Different licensing. So in today's terminology, private mortgage loans are in the realm of alternative investments which, incidentally, the topic of our next show. And yes, as I mentioned earlier, today's alternative investments were actually traditional investments just 100 years ago. Regular listeners know that our objective on the Wealth DNA radio show is to share the fundamentals of investing, provide great ideas for building and protecting your wealth. Today was a good example. Our mission is to help you and one other one million other people, our best friends, become millionaires. It's much easier for someone to be in that group if they're aware of all the financial tools available. 
bonds are obviously one of those tools. Now, if you missed part of today's show, you want to recommend it to some friends, the link that you were sent in your uh, email, and if you didn't get that email, of course, you want to get in touch with me, but uh, that take you to the archive version, and of course, you'll find the full list of our past shows there on the archivewealthdna.us. I'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area, for helping us put together this show. They help many people invest in private mortgage loans and other secured investments. Next uh, Wealth DNA radio show will be the fourth Monday of September. Yep, Monday, September 28th, 9 a.m. Arizona time. And it'll actually be officially fall by then. So it's starting to feel like it when it drops below 100 for us. Same place, same time. Our topic will be, as I alluded to, understanding alternative investments with the guy who wrote the book on the topic, Stephen Todd Walker. I know it will be well worth the hour of your time. The full lineup of guests and topics is on wealthdna.us. You'll find the full archive of past shows there, too. Now, if you have some comments, questions, you haven't received my emails, uh, reminding you of the show, send an email to ron at wealthdna.us or follow The Ronald on Facebook or Twitter. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing and reviewing the bonds in your portfolio. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started. <laughs>